0: thanks man sir as Dunk said my name is james i'm one of the pastors here as well and i'm super excited to be wrapping up the minor prophets if you're not aware we believe that the whole word of god is breathed out by him and it's all profitable and it's all good and part of that is this most neglected part of the bible that we've been doing this year which is called the minor prophets if you haven't been tracking with us in fact we've touched on Malachi, Zechariah, Joel, Haggai, Hosea, Zephaniah, Micah, Jonah, Habakkuk, and Amos so far, so that's quite a lot of parts of the Bible we might not be familiar with, but I just felt it's important this this day, as we wrap up this year, there's a lot of good teaching that's happened and we're so quick to forget, and I wanted to solidify some of the teaching that we've been doing, and especially in this Advent season, this Advent season which relates to the arrival, that's what Advent means, And we're really wanting to celebrate the arrival of Jesus Christ and for me it's important that we look at the minor prophets they have some major learnings from the minor prophets and what are the major learnings we've learned about Jesus Christ and so that's what we're going to be taking a look at today there's a portrait they've painted the prophets about Jesus Christ and don't want us to miss it as we enter into Advent because this is going to elevate our worship today has been all about worship we've been saying God is faithful God is good God wins every battle he's magnificent and so we want to continue that vein of worship and look at the portrait of Jesus that these minor prophets have painted so four major learnings from the minor prophets the first major learning from the minor prophets is that they help us to uncover the injustice for which our King died Now the concept of injustice we are familiar with, it entails being treated as less than we actually deserve. Well when we look at God's people we notice in the prophet Hosea and in other ones as well that God's people were brought into a marriage covenant with God. They signed it at Mount Sinai, God called the mountains and the earth to be witness to it. And then God said, I will be your God, you be my people. That was the arrangement of the covenant that was signed. And so every time that God's people did not fulfill their part of the covenant, it was an injustice against the marriage of God. Hosea calls it spiritual adultery, chasing after, whoring after other gods, treating other gods and other things as more significant than God himself is an injustice against God for which Jesus Christ would have to die but as we look at this marriage covenant part of what god had to say was how you treat one another actually impacts on me my marriage covenant to you extends to how you treat one another and what we see repeatedly in every single minor prophet i think barring two 10 out of the 12 minor prophets say the big a big issue god has with his people is injustice that they perpetuate against one another and i think even as we elevate ourselves to the new testament context we must consider that to god all injustice every time somebody anywhere is treated as less than what they deserve it's an injustice against the king of kings and the lord of lords he takes personal exception against people being treated unjustly it's an injustice against god when people are treated unjustly so even as we think about our context today we might think in this Advent season, this is a great time for us to think about the downtrodden, the the people treated as lesser than in society, because those are God's people that He's looking out for. The minor prophets would have us opening our eyes during Advent. It's not about how your house looks at Christmas and what you chow. It's about the people that God is putting on your heart. How can we bring financial Um, financial gain to them how can we do acts of service for people that God is pricking on your conscience right now how can we bring acts of service how can we bring affirmation to those that are treated poorly downtrodden it's an injustice against God and we are God's people what what happens that touches God's heart should touch our heart so we should care about every single injustice and none of it is irrelevant to us it is all part and parcel of of what we are as a people we care about injustice we t- spoke as city about giving away a million bucks to those in need this is important this isn't just like a nice thing on the side that we get to do and we get to applaud saying that's cool it's part and parcel of who we are as a people we must uplift because all injustice God cares about now here's even SJW's near social justice warriors they will even be amending with me up until this point but now here's where they might not find it very popular christians should care about all injustice especially injustice against god himself now we have already said injustice is being treated as less than what you deserve the truth about god is he deserves the highest honor the highest adoration the highest respect the highest worship in the world and the concept of injustice is the higher respect somebody deserves and the less that we render the greater the injustice now the truth is God deserves the highest, in, the highest honor, the highest worship, and the Bible tells us every person in the world has not lived up to that standard, has not given him the highest adoration, the highest respect, the highest praise, the highest worship, and so every single person in the world is guilty of an injustice that is infinite, that can't be measured, that every single person that has lived, that does live today, and will live in the future, renders an infinite injustice against an infinite God, and it's the biggest problem in the world. I mentioned this to prick our conscience for when we are more passionate and more vocal about injustice against people which God also has an issue with, do we have more of an issue with that than injustice against God himself? because it reveals something about our heart allegiance to God that we're more passionate about people than God himself. And so Christians are passionate about all injustice we care. And this Advent season eyes open who are the people oppressed we can uplift them but let's be even more cognizant of the cosmic issue at hand the injustice that we perpetuated against God himself and so how would God enter into this injustice how would he change the game while well, we read in the minor prophets the second part of the portrait major learning from the minor prophets is that we actually have I actually skipped huge amounts Of this preach that I was supposed to do the second thing that we uncover is that we can appreciate the arrival of our humble king only once we recognize the level of injustice for which God came to pay the price can we start to appreciate the arrival of our humble king many of the minor prophets speak about a future hope that there would be a king who would be born who would change the game he was the king that was born in a manger The minor prophets speak about him as a king, but not like the other kings of Israel who were unfaithful to God and unfaithful in their rule. But it says in the minor prophets, there's a king from the line of David, a Messiah who would be born that would bring peace, that would bring godly rule and justice. We read of Micah 5, for from you shall come forth for me one who's to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days, So this was no ordinary earthly ruler. In fact, he was divine and eternal because his origins are of old, from ancient days. So he was born a baby, yes, but he is older than old. He's the ancient of days. We often sing, he was the word at the beginning, one with God, the Lord most high. Born as a baby, yes. The most unlikely way that Satan would be defeated wouldn't be through a display of immense power, that Satan would be overthrown through a baby who would be born in Bethlehem who could be dropped on his head. A vulnerable baby would come and overthrow Satan's schemes. We remember that he was a king, but he was a humble king, born as a baby. Humble, he was born in a manger. Now, some of us have seen too many Christmas Paintings have sung too many Christmas songs, so we like get lulled into a sense of how pleasant it is that he was born in a manger. But actually, Jesus was born into a feeding trough for slobbering animals. I wonder if we've grasped that the king of kings, the the one of majesty of heaven, was born in a place where scraps get put for animals. That Jesus literally entered into the dirt of mankind. He entered into the filth. He didn't run away from it he said I am coming in to that mess of mankind that's our king the king that we serve this Advent he's the humble king he enters into our mess he takes it upon himself now we read about the fact that he is a king even though he's a baby even though he has these humble circumstances Amos 9 says in that day I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen And repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. When we talk about god in jesus christ restoring this fallen booth of david we talk about david's dynasty david's kingdom that jesus christ would actually restore the kingdom and bring into coming the kingdom of god bring in a new era for that that's why people anticipated jesus would be a political powerhouse who would bring economic prosperity because they're thinking about david but they have the wrong connotation about david it was the fact that David was a shepherd and that Jesus would be a shepherd to his people. But unlike David, Jesus being the good shepherd, he lays down his life for the sheep. He's a humble king. He didn't come with a crown of jewels, he came with a crown of thorns. He didn't come to be served, he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He's the servant king, that's our king that we serve this Advent. We must take time to appreciate this humble king. Though every injustice in the world was in fact an injustice against Christ himself, he didn't come to order executions for others. He came for his own execution. He willingly came up to the cross. No one takes my life for me, but I give it freely. He ordered his own execution, although every injustice was against himself. And why would he do that? What kind of a king gives his life is for the forgiveness of sins for you and I. Micah chapter 7 said, Who is like our God? Pardoning iniquity, passing over transgression. He doesn't retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us, he will tread our iniquities underfoot, he will cast all of our sins. Into the depths of the sea remember Jonah also said this he said for I know you're a gracious God merciful slow to anger abounding in steadfast love that's our king that we are appreciating this Advent he's the forgiver of sins so can we just take some time to appreciate that the fact that Jesus didn't come the first time to dish out in justice for himself He actually came as the recipient of injustice. He didn't come at first as the rider on the white horse, but rather he came as Zechariah 9 tells us, our king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on a foal of a donkey. Jesus came humbly. He didn't come as the general at first. He came actually as the victim of injustice. How would God solve the problem? Of injustice in the world. It would actually be that Jesus is oppressed himself, that he was sold for silver. He was born into a feeding trough. He was poor. He was spat on. He was betrayed. Every injustice in the world was given unto Jesus Christ. So when people ask me the question, in a world full of injustice, how can I believe in God? One of the clues to that question is that we actually have a God who entered into injustice himself. In his own flesh, he took on injustice. He received injustice. We have a God that can identify with injustice. Injustice. He absorbed injustice on our behalf. And the climax of all injustice in human history, Acts chapter 8 tells us that like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, like a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's our King. He's the lamb. So Jesus deserved justice. He gets condemnation. We deserve condemnation, but we are justified by the blood of Jesus Christ, the great exchange. In fact, Jesus hated injustice so much, he became the recipient of it. So that through this infinite injustice, God could purchase you and purchase myself to prize Jesus Christ above all else jesus didn't just want to excuse you from your sins so that you can go oh that's cool he actually wanted to excuse you of your sins to make you a son daughter of god allegiance to him full and unrelenting and full allegiance to him in every way do we prize jesus christ above all other things i want to reflect on that this advent is the great beauty of advent that we get the prize of rest and holiday that we get time with family Eating nice food? Or is the prize that Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem and he's been born again in our hearts? Come, let us adore him. Let's adore him. He's Christ the Lord. Let's appreciate the coming of our humble King. Let's not miss this opportunity. We've got to slow down and make sure we're focusing on what really matters right here. Jan Richardson, I thought it was Jan Richardson, but it turns out it's a lady and her name is Jan Richardson. She says, That the season of Advent means there's something on the horizon, the likes of which we've never seen before. What is possible is for us not to see it, to miss it, to turn just as it brushes past you. And you begin to grasp what you missed, like Moses in the cleft of a rock, watching God's back fade from the distance. So Jan says, sit, stay, linger, tarry, ponder, wait, behold, wonder there is time enough for running for rushing for worrying for pushing but for now wait something is on the horizon it's an application for us in advent we must stay ponder tarry the coming of christ it is possible for us to fall into the trap that we spend more time prepping our home and prepping our gammon than prepping our hearts For the coming of christ it's possible for me because i've been there done that i've gotten up here and preached about jesus and then the rest of december rolls around and all i'm focused in on is the to-do list i know that how we can get swept up by the festivities but can we just be swept along by the love of jesus in a stronger current than we get swept along by the festive season because jesus is the reason for the season whether or not he was born in, the, in 25 December is completely irrelevant. We have chosen in this time to celebrate the coming of Christ. So sit, wait, tarry, ponder, be amazed at the coming of Christ. Let's make sure we slow down for that because this is the weightiest thing that's ever happened in human history. That the king of kings became flesh, was born as a baby. He could have been dropped. Humble was he. He went to the cross and he bled for you and I for all the injustice that we've perpetuated against God so let's prepare our hearts for the coming of this King but let's also prepare our hearts not just for his first coming but for his second coming as well because the minor prophets tell us we must prepare for our Kings return that the minor prophets repeatedly refer to the coming day of the Lord Joel says alas for the day of the Lord the day of the Lord's near and destruction from the Almighty it comes Zephaniah said the great day of the Lord is near. It's near and it's hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter and the mighty man cries aloud that day. That day is the Lord's day. Every other day in human history, we treat like it's our day. It's about my comfort, it's about my goals, it's about what I want. And we treat every day like it's our day, but not that day. That day is the Lord's day. On that day, only God will be in headlights. Only Jesus Christ, when he comes to judge the living and the dead, it'll be his day. Every other day will be the main focus, not that day. That day, it's about Jesus Christ. And here's the truth about it. The world wants to sell you down a story that you just gotta live every day like it's your last. And it's not the worst sentiment in the whole world but the Bible wants to say it's not about living every day like it's your last it's about living every day in preparation for the last because one day will be the last today and then it's that day That is the Lord's day, and He comes to judge the living and the dead. He comes, and we have to be prepared for it. So I want to ask us this Advent season, have we made a full-on commitment to serve Jesus Christ with our life? Because it doesn't matter that Jesus was born in Bethlehem if He's not born again in our hearts and we're not ready for the King to return. We can do all the Christmas festivities we want, but are we ready if He was to come back tomorrow? Are we ready and prepared with our heart? He's our Lord and Savior, and be ready for Him to come back. And also, what about the fact that people need to know where we stand with Christ this Christmas? I understand we don't want to be untactful around the Christmas table with our family and friends that aren't Christian. I understand that we want to be tasteful in how we speak about Jesus. But I just wanted to ask the simple fact, do the people around you know how much you love Jesus? Because that's the most important thing in your life, is Jesus Christ, and he's coming back. Do we adore him? Come, let's adore him. He's Christ the Lord. We must be ready for his return. D.L. Moody, he says that heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. This isn't just a paradise that just gets happened. It's a prepared place for prepared people. So we must be firm and secure in the life of Jesus Christ because he's the lamb that takes away the sins of the world, but when he comes back, he's not the lamb. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, growing up, I didn't get that part of the portrait. I grew up in a Catholic school at St. David's. I was the worst Catholic boy of all time, okay? I could just, we could just for half an hour, I could just give you a tour of all the bad things that I did. But my focus today is on those pathetic murals that we got on those stainless glass windows and whatever of Jesus. You know, Jesus was always portrayed as an oak who never shaved one day in his entire life. He had the smoother skin like baby soft kind of stuff And there he was with his flowing locks and like a halo of sun on his head. And there he was glowing like some kind of a hair ad on top of like one of those Microsoft 95 windows like backgrounds, you know, like those green hills that are just perfect. And there he was on the top of the hill, flowing locks, smooth skin, glowing head, and patting a lamb. You guys have seen it. I don't know why he's patting a lamb all the time. I don't understand why these lambs came to him like at some Pocahontas moment or whatever. But there he is patting the lambs. And that's all I ever knew about Jesus. Little did I know that he is also the lion of the tribe of Judah. That all the metal songs that I listened about was actually speaking about God. He's powerful. He's mighty. He's the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. But he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And when he comes back, it's going to be absolutely no joke. On that day, he comes on a white horse. His name is faithful and true. His eyes are like flames of fire. Out of his mouth comes a sword with which he strikes down the nations. On his thigh and on his robe is written, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And on that day, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. That is our King. Let us adore him and let's be prepared for his return. But let us also fourthly long for the return of our king. We can't just be prepped, we have to long for it. And I will give you two reasons why. Firstly, because the king has healing hands. The minor prophets often speak about Jesus coming to restore everything on the earth. Now, the king has healing hands reminds me of the Lord of the Rings. You know, second to the Bible, the Lord of the Rings is next in the heavenly rank of the best things in the world. In the third volume of Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, there's a tree in the Gondor, which is the, the, tree, the city of kings, which is dead. Absolutely zero leaves on it. It's completely destroyed and dead. But there's a promise that was said that one day this will bloom again when the king returns. And as Aragorn, comes and steps into his destiny he returns as the king defeats the evil sauron the tree begins to bloom again and there's flourishing and there's healing even in the earth because the king has returned we have the prophecy that the king would have healing hands in lord of the rings and after the battle is won it's not just that he defeated sauron he goes into the house of healing and he lays hand hands on people that were touched by the malice of Of the darkness of Sauron and they are healed and this is such a picture of the second coming of Christ because not only will he come to judge the living and the dead and throw Satan and his legions into the lake of fire but the king also comes with healing hands and he comes to restore the brokenness of this world it's not just that he defeats Satan he's going to resurrect and restore everything that was broken here on the earth Amos chapter 9 speaks of it it says behold the days are coming declares the Lord when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes him who sows the seed the mountain shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it so in israel you actually plow in june or what you plow in march you sow the seeds in june in october whatever you've got every like different thing that happens in a different time of year you plow you sow the seeds you reap the harvest you tread on the grapes and then you got your wine It's like a process. But on that day, declares the Lord, what will happen is the plowmen are going to rock up there with their plows. They're ready to go. They're like ready for labor. And there they are in october they're going to plow but they can't plow because the oaks are still reaping a harvest from the previous year there's so much produce that they can't get going the old the stompers you know the guys that stomp the grapes they're going to be stomping forever because the wine vats are going to be overflowing this is a time of prosperity where there will be no hunger no injustice there will be no need because the king has healing hands and he comes to restore everything in fact, speaking of the wine vats, we know Jesus loves wine. His first miracle was turning water into wine. Best party trick of all time. That was his first miracle. But in that day, God says, the mountains shall be dripping with wine, Mansa. Can you imagine that Chapman's Peak in Drachis? You see like a river of wine coming into that Olivenhoek Pass or whatever it's called. It's going to be insane. Imagine Table Mountain with wine coming down. I mean, the people in Cape Town, they love the mountain and they love wine. So can you imagine on that day when the wine comes down? We read in Micah that the mountain of the Lord will be the highest of all mountains. And we read in Amos that a river of wine will come down. So it's going to be a party like no other. If you think Christianity is a straitjacket that's boring, you haven't seen the new heavens and the earth. It's a party place where there's no hunger, no sickness, no pain, no tears. There is restoration because the king comes With healing hands nation shall not lift up sword against nation neither shall they learn for war anymore but they shall sit this speaks of individual prosperity each man under his own fig tree this is speaking of everyone has what they need there isn't a person that's begging from anybody and no one shall make them afraid the prophets teach us that God actually cares about this world there's a guy with a very long name his name is Vinod Ramachandra it sounds like a guy that you don't want to bowl to in a test match it sounds like a Sri Lankan batsman who's not to be trifled with but in fact he is a Sri Lankan theologian and he gets asked quite often with his PhD in in eschatology there he gets asked aren't all religions having more or less the same salvation isn't salvation more or less the same in every religion and he says what salvation are you talking about Because the salvation of Christianity has the restoration of the world. Now that is significant because in in secularism, we have the world is going to burn away and it's going to be no more. In all other religions, either you have the earth actually being a mirage and a facade and an illusion that passes away or it is an inferior physical manifestation that will actually be surpassed by a paradise. But Christianity stands alone with a unique claim that God actually cares for the physical world and is gonna restore it. In fact, John 3:16 says, for God so loved the world. But the word world there doesn't relate to people. It actually relates to cosmos. God so loves the physical world, he literally entered into the physical world in Christmas time. Well, it wasn't in Christmas time. But during the birth of Jesus, he entered into the physical world. He so cares. And during his resurrection, he started the healing. But one day it will be complete because the king has healing hands. And he's coming back and he's going to restore this world. So we don't have to think about heaven as us floating on the clouds, having a bizarre time. It's not going to be like that with wings and weird instruments. It's going to be us here on earth kissing, hugging dancing and apparently drinking lots of wine apparently this physical prosperity is a part of our future God cares so much for the world because he's the healer of the world and so we have to look at that we have to long for the healing hands of Jesus to return but we must also long for his return because it's about having the king himself the minor prophets teach us that this is what the central reason is why we long for Jesus return because we get him says in Revelation The dwelling place of God is with man Zechariah puts it this way I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem and they shall be my people and I will be their God does that ring a bell about the covenant that God made with Israel will be complete on that day because God will have full relationship with the people of God here on earth it's about the fact that we get him we don't read that, the peop- that, God is prepared, that God is taking us up to God, but we read that God is coming to make his place with man. This is the exchange that we see. Remember what I said in the beginning, this is a marriage that God has with his people, and God fully intends to move in with his people one day. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And what's going to happen is there's going to be the consummation of all that God has begun, and God will be with his people there will be no sun and no moon because he will be the light for all mankind and we will be with him he will be our groom and we will be the bride so it's not about material rewards that we're looking forward to it's about being with Jesus himself and that is a test for us john piper throws down the test this way oh sorry lord no, he doesn't hebrews 9 does hebrews 928 says christ having been offered once to bear the sins for many, he will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save who? Those who are eagerly awaiting him. So I just want you to log the challenge of Scripture. Is God coming back for you? The answer to the question is it depends if you are longing and eagerly awaiting him. That's a throwdown challenge right there for every single heart for us to ask do we eagerly expect and await Christ to come back because if we don't it might be a sign that we actually don't have as much a big of a love for Christ as we do for his benefits John Piper throws it like this that the critical question for our generation and for every generation is this if you could have heaven no sickness all the friends you ever had all the food you ever liked All the leisure activities you ever enjoyed all the natural beauties you ever saw all the physical pleasures you ever tasted no human conflict no natural disasters could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there this is testing if God is a means to an end or if he is the end himself do we love God only in as much as he gives us stuff we like or do we actually prize him above all else come let us adore him because he says I'm the Alpha and the Omega he is the means of salvation but he is the end goal of salvation it's about the fact that we get him Jesus himself because he is waiting for a people that are longing for him and so in conclusion as we wrap this up all the different the band can come up by the way there is a question of what is being tested here the minor prophets teach us about the fact that God is a king that he's the King of Kings and he is the Lord of Lords. It begins showing us the minor prophets that we are an unfaithful people, that we have committed injustices against God. As we will sing that in the darkness we were waiting without hope and without light. Then it goes on to speak about a humble king who would come to save his people. As we will sing from a from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. And it prepares us to f- to finalize this marriage that jesus is coming back and we long for a day that in fact jesus will come again truly the minor prophets do paint a picture for us this year that this is the king of kings and he is the lord of lords there is none like him truly he is majestic god of glory majesty praise forever to the king of kings And so we sing in Scripture, Psalm 47, sing praises to our King. Sing praises for God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises to Him. Revelation says, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the ruler of kings on the earth to Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins and made us a kingdom, priest to His God and Father. To Jesus be the glory and the dominion forever and ever God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of kings. Let's sing and let's worship Him.